So our learning this morning should be Le'ilu uh, Nishmas, Dan's father, whose yard site was last week, with Shlomo ben Yehuda, Shlomo ben Yeshua, and the Shema have an Aliyah, and may let's Yosha for the entire family. In this week's parasha, uh, parasha's Vayeshev, Ta- Tamar uh, proves that Yehuda is the father of her children, uh, solely by presenting him with uh, his ring, his cloak, and his staff, which he recognizes to be his own. As the Pasuk tells us, And of course, Yehuda uh, recognizes that those are his items, and he uh, proudly proclaims that Yehuda, that uh, Tamar was correct, that he was the father of her children. But it was without the benefit of testimony, simply because he identified uh, those items that belonged to him. And therefore, I wanted to take the opportunity to discuss a more contemporary uh, paternity test, not uh, by presenting a cloak, a ring, or a staff, but uh, by determining uh, paternity based on other identifying uh, characteristics and what is the uh, acceptability, the validity, how does halacha recognize these kinds of uh, paternity tests. So the first really uh, reliable uh, paternity test emerged in the 1960s, which was really a uh, blood test known as the HLA blood test, which uh, analyzed different proteins and uh, gene material that was found on the blood cells. And if it was similar, uh, between, uh, there was enough similarity between uh, the child and the father, it was assumed to be that the, the father uh, was, the, uh, was the biological father of this child. And they had a, a reliability rate of somewhere above 90%. Uh, so how does Halacha recognize these kinds of paternity tests? So the, uh, it was, uh, when this uh, emerged on the scene in the 1960s, it was highly controversial because within the world of Halacha, because the Gemara tells us in Mesech Das Nida, over here on the Aflamid Amibes, that there are three parties that participate in the creation of a human being. There's HaKadosh Baruch Hu the two parents, and uh, the Rebbein Shalalem. And this, of course, serves as the basis for the Gemara Masechus Kiddushin that tells us that the mitzvah of Kibbut Aviyem is not only a uh, mitzvah ben Adam lechaveroi that we have to demonstrate gratitude to our parents for all that they did to us, uh, for us, but also the mitzvah of Kibbut Aviyem is a mitzvah that is ben Adam l'makayim, a religious mitzvah between ourselves and the Rebbeinu Shalolim, because by honoring our parents, uh, we're uh, honoring the entire partnership and recognizing uh, the gratitude uh, or all that Hakadosh Baruch Hu has done for us as well. So this is the basis for the fact that Ben Adam Kibra is not only Ben Adam Chavera, but also Ben Adam Lamakim. But then the Gemara goes on uh, to elaborate that uh, who gives what in this partnership, meaning who uh, donates what. So the Gemara explains that the father um, donates all the uh, the white items uh, that are contained within the body, which uh, amount to five things. That samos gidim sipornaim and moyach shevaroish uh, the, the, the sinews and uh, the bone marrow and uh, the, the, the white part of the eye. And the mother donates the items that are red, again, five items. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu donates uh, ten items, but more of the spiritual aspects of the body, the neshama, the five senses, uh, the neshama, the class there upon him, the ability to walk, and bina v'haskel. Kodesh Baruch Hu donates ten. Each one of the parents donates uh, five. That's why the Rebbe Rapeshel writes in the Sefer Chanukas Hatayra that when uh, Adam Arishan was created, the pasuk says, "Vayitzar Hashem Aleikim Es Adam Afram in Adam." Kodesh Baruch Hu created Adam Harishon from the dust of the earth. And in that word, "Vayitzar," when it appears the first time in Chumash, there's two yuds. Why are there two yuds? 
So he explains that because normally when a Kaddish Baruch Hu participates in the creation of a human being, he only donates 10 items. Here by Adam Arishan, that he had no biological parents, a Kaddish Baruch Hu had to step in in the place of the father and the mother, and he donated to all 20. Uh, the five of the mother, the five of the father, and the five that Kaddish Baruch Hu usually uh, donates to the creation of every human being. However, the Gemara here indicates that the uh, red items that are found in the body and the blood it, uh, comes as uh, donated not by the father, but by the, uh, but by the mother. So does that indicate that perhaps we can't um, determine uh, paternity based on a blood test because the blood doesn't come from the father. The blood only comes as donated by the mother. So is this Gemara assumed to be, you know, just a... Is this a halachic uh, statement, or is this something that's uh, uh, extra halachic, or beyond, uh, you know, a more of an agadic statement of the Gemara? So it happens to be that the Rishonim seem to have understood this uh, Gemara in a halachic sense as well, because it's brought in Hilchas Mila. But the Gemara tells us, based on the Gemara Masech Yivam, is that if a person has a son, and he performs bismillah on the son, and lo the son dies. Presumably because he has a blood clotting disorder. And then they uh, do a brismigal on the second son. Second son also, Le'elenu dies. So he's established a pattern that there's a blood disorder in the family. And the Gemara says, therefore, we don't do mila on the third child. We wait until he gets older and uh, assess his strength at that point and perhaps perform brismigal later, but not at the uh, at its, uh, designated time because we're afraid that the third son will suffer a similar fate. However, the Rama writes... That it's only if it, they're uh, brothers from the mother. They share the same mother. But if they share the same father, then this uh, halacha would not apply just because you did bris milah on the first two children and both children uh, died. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't do milah on the third child. It's only if they're uh, th- brothers, mitzad ha'em. Only if they uh, share the common mother. So it, the truth of the matter is that this uh, Sifin Shochanar seems to be describing hemophilia, blood clotting disorder, which happens to be passed on the X chromosome. It's a genetic disorder which is linked to the X chromosome. So in order for a son to be a hemophiliac, he would have to have inherited it from his mother because uh, the X chromosome in every boy comes from the mother. A father could pass it on to his daughter, but uh, if a son is a hemophiliac, he only got it from his mother. It's linked to the X chromosome. So the, the Ramah is correct. If it's uh, what they're describing as hemophilia, it would only be relevant if they were brothers, mitzad, ha'em, if they were uh, maternal brothers, not paternal brothers. However, that's not what the Ramah is, uh, that's not the, the, uh, the reasoning of the Ramah, is because he knew that uh, hemophilia was linked to the X chromosome. Rather, he quotes from Sefer Aguda, spacing himself on that Gemara Masechus Nida, that the blood is donated, they knew that this was a blood clotting disorder, and the blood is donated by the mother and not by the father. So perhaps uh, many Yachreinim uh, derived from here or inferred from here in the 1960s when this uh, test became uh, available that we cannot rely on a paternity test that's uh, based on uh, analyzing proteins that are on the blood because the blood is not uh, donated by the, the mother, by the father, the blood is donated uh, by the mother. And that was, a, uh, I would say, the large community of Paiskim. The, the person who wrote the tshuva about it was Rebensian Uziel, and his Chuvas uh, the Shari Uziel, who was a Svardi chief rabbi in Eretz Yisrael at the time. And that was echoed as well by the Tzitzel Yezer, by Rabbi Yosef. The, the large community of Paiskim accepted that psak that we cannot rely on a blood test to establish paternity because of this Gemara and Mesech Nida. At that time, the Ashkenazi chief rabbi was Rabbi Herzog. And he wrote in a medical journal called uh, Asya uh, that he was uh, disappointed with uh, this ruling. 
He says, Chaval that as the scientific world is progressing and uh, understanding and new items and making great discoveries, uh, even though it's true, they make mistakes uh, occasionally. But us with regards to scientific issues that relate to the fulfillment of Torah and the mitzvahs, we stick our head into the sand. Just like the ostrich sticks its head in the sand, we stick our head in the sand as well and ignore all of the scientific evidence around us. Meaning he was disappointed that we weren't accepting a paternity test, which clearly have a scientific validity to them. Roshama Zalman happened to have been uh, sympathetic to this argument, as Dr. Abraham quotes in his Sefer Nishmas Avram, and he felt that we could, uh, that the, the, the statement of the Gemara Masechta's neither was not necessarily meant in a halachic sense, uh, but he was not convinced that we should rely on paternity tests because the, the level of accuracy didn't rise to the threshold that should establish a certainty with regards to fatherhood. It was you know, above 90%, but not, uh, not infallible. And therefore, he wasn't uh, convinced that it would be something that would establish paternity with any uh, great certainty. There was another reason for uh, the opposition to uh, accepting paternity tests in the eyes of halacha, and that is because already in the time of the Sefer Achsidim, perhaps even earlier in the times of Rav Sadigon, they had a blood test to establish paternity. Rav Sadigon discusses a, uh, a dispute that emerged after a person passed away as to who was his rightful heir. He had one uh, person who was assumed to be his son, and then another person who claimed, uh, his servant, uh, that uh, he was also his son. A legitimate son, but he was a son nonetheless. So he uh, argued that he was entitled to a part of the estate as well. So how would they go? The Sefer Chesidim quotes the name of Sadiqan, that he resolved the dispute by making a a blood test which established paternity. If you look over here at the end of the Sefer Chesidim, he says, (laughs) V'tzivar Reb Sadiqan, Lahak is dam ze besefo echad, vedam ze besefo acher. That they uh, took blood from each one of the uh, one of the parties, each one of the, uh, the the people who were claiming to be an heir of the person who passed away. Velokach etzem shel avi habein. They took the bone of the deceased father. Veniach besafo haeved velo nivla adam. They put it into the bucket to the pail that had the blood of the eved, and the blood did not become um, absorbed uh, in the bone. Then they took the bone and they put it into the pot that was holding uh, the blood of the sun and it became absorbed into the bone. And he assumed, assumed, since the blood got absorbed into the blood of the sun, got absorbed into the bone of the father, that established that they had a biological relationship and he awarded all of the estate to, to that child. So already in the times of Rav going, they seem to have had a blood test established paternity, yeah. Obviously, in, in this type of a case, it would be hard to have aid. But in general, was so <coughs> suspicious of circumstantial evidence. Is there a klal, a rule, when we can use circumstantial evidence? When we That's are... what we're trying to figure out. We generally don't. You're right. We generally don't. So is this the only case in the world? No, we're going to try and see that perhaps others. But, but, but I'm going to we do it right as a list. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. Uh, m- 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 what? No, for fatherhood. Who fathers? Ah, for fatherhood. Correct. Roiv b'ilos achar We assume that the. It's all circumstantial. It's. Or to roiv. 
Always, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a rive, correct. At least that's Adis. So what about if you? No, no. He's saying that. How do we know anybody's father right, is uh, right? So we assume it's because so, that. Uh, so maybe if you had Adis, that these two people live together, maybe that's because that's at least a form of Adis. Correct. The question would be, let's say you have a. That would be the assumption. What if you have the, the father is claiming I'm not the father of this child? So we would assume that he is rive be ilasachar abal. And that's usually where this comes up. And he says, well, I don't want, uh, I don't want this person uh, you know, getting a share in my estate. I don't believe he's my child. So he wants a paternity test to show that he's not his child. And let's say the paternity test demonstrates he's not his child. So does he, uh, is he obligated in support? Does he get a share in the estate? And all, the, all that follows. That's where this issue comes up. So already in the time, that was the issue that the Sefer Chassidim was dealing with. So they uh, determined based on the blood test, even though this person, or the situation he's dealing with is the child claimed, I am a rightful heir. And uh, it's hard to dispute that without, uh, so at least they dispute it with this uh, paternity test, which again would be, we're t- discussing mammon and we're discussing monetary issues. The Gemara does have a rule, even though we don't follow uh, a rove in order to uh, remove money from one party and get awarded to another. If you have such an overwhelming rove that it's like it's something that's, you know, uh, a high threshold, uh, Otherwise, we, you know, the other way would be it's just an unlikelihood. Uh, so then we can extract money from one party and award it to the other. It would have to be a, an overwhelming roiv. For kahuna and things that aren't For kahuna and things that aren't well, It doesn't really, the, the, the Kohen gene doesn't really make too much of a difference. Uh, you know, if you get, want to get the first aliyah and things like that. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll give, if you want to claim to be a Kohen, we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. <laughs> The problem is, though, the Gemara Mesethus Baba Basar has a dispute. Uh, the Gemara Mesethus Baba Basar has a dispute, uh, uh, though, a similar issue with regards to ten uh, children who were presumed to all be children of a certain father. And then on the, his deathbed, he told them, really, only one of you is my son, and the rest of you uh, are not my son. Hach Isisa, Asara Bani Isla, a certain woman who had ten cho- children, ten sons, Veles Le Me'avuch Elochad. But it, uh, only one of them was from the father. The rest were obviously from an extramarital affair. So, All my uh, estate should go to the one no legitimate child. They didn't know which one he was. So they came before Abinah. And he performed uh, kind of a, uh, you know, like a certain way of deciding the estate. And he told them all, go hit the cover of your father. Uh, and uh, he wanted to see what their reaction would be. So nine out of the ten went to go to the Beisach uh, forest to hit the cover of the father with a stick. Only one didn't go. He said, I refuse to go. So who debray havid loy ozo? The one who was a legitimate child is the one who first to go, refused to go. Amalohu kuhu dahai. The entire estate belongs to this individual. So he came up with a kind of psychological uh, test to determine who was the legitimate child. So the Rashash asked, one minute, if there was already this uh, test of Rav Sadiagun, that uh, you could determine who is the uh, rightful heir, who's the biological child, by dipping the bone of the father into the blood of the, uh, of the child, that the blood would be absorbed by the bone. Why didn't they do this uh, bone test in the time of the Gemara to determine who was the rightful child? So the Rashash explains, Mishum the Sefer Chasidim, What's going to happen is it will be determined with certainty that the other nine children are absolutely mamzerim that they were illegitimate, and that's going to create uh, communal issues. Who are they going to marry? They're not allowed to enter into Kahal Yisrael. So they didn't want to create, uh, because of a motivation to avoid creating Mamzerim, they didn't use the, uh, the test of the Sefer HaChasidim. 
So you see an aversion from this Gemara, perhaps, to uh, using paternity tests, because uh, if we accept the paternity test as valid in the eyes of Allah, it will help uh, resolve certain estate issues, but it will create many more issues of mamzerus. And the Gemara tells us in Mesechtus Kiddush, on the final from Aleph, that Mishpacha Shenitma Nitma, once a family has become assimilated, has become confused, and there are mamzerim in the family, we, uh, unless we know about it, we uh, we don't uh, look underneath that rock. We let uh, we let we let sleeping dogs lie, and we we leave it where it is. What is that based upon? It's based upon the rule of the Gemara Mesechtes Kiddush and Dafai and Gimel Meralef. The Mamzer Vad. The pasuk says Lo Yavo Mamzer Berkal Hashem. Pasuk in Parshas Kiseitzei Mamzer Vadai Hudu Lo Yavo Hamamzer Safek Yavo. If a person is a Mamzer Vadai, so then we have to deal with the situation. But if a person is a Mamzer Safek, we don't know with absolute certainty that he's a Mamzer. Then in the eyes of Allah, he's not treated as a Mamzer. It's not even a Safek Mamzer. Here we would say, Suffolk, the rise of the Kula. Even though generally we have a principle, whenever you have a Suffolk Easter, that we go to Chumrah, Suffolk, the rise of the Chumrah. Here, the Torah goes out of its way to tell us a special Xeris <coughs> HaKosov, even though in general, Suffolk, the rise of the Chumrah, when it comes to a Suffolk Mamzer, Suffolk Mamzer is the Kula. And unless we know with absolute certainty that a person is a Mamzer, he's permitted to enter into the Kalashem, permitted to marry a Jewish girl. The Ran compares this to a Gemara Mesechtas Kiddushan and Aflam Testament Alpha discussing Arla and Chutzlar. It's Arla is the prohibition to eat from the fruits of a tree for the first three years in the life of the tree. That applies, uh, it's a Pasuk in the Torah with regards to Eretz Yisrael. The fact that this applies, in, it does apply in Chutzlar, but the fact that this applies in Chutzlar is only a Halachal Amayish Misinai. So if you look over here on the second line of Oishches, the Gemara says that the Halachal Amayish Misinai was formulated in a unique way that Sveika Mutter Vada Oser. So too with regards to Arlan Chutzlars, even though t- typically Suffolk derives to the Chumrah, Suffolk Arlan Chutzlars was a halacha l'mayish misinai that it's allowed. A special, um, a special tradition. Normally Suffolk derives to the Chumrah, here it's allowed, Suffolk is permitted. Just like uh, Mamzer Vadai, Veloy Mamzer Suffolk. Only a certain Mamzer is prohibited to enter into the Kal Hashem, but a Suffolk Mamzer is permitted. So the Ran extrapolates from that Gemara and Kiddush and Daflam and Testament Aleph that just like with regards to Arlan Chutzlaris, the Gemara says, Sefuki Misafki Adadi. Uh, we would make artificial Sveikas. I would have two fruits. One is Arlan Chutzlaris, for sure. One is not. If you confuse the two, and now you can't tell the difference, they're both permitted. Even though we went out of our way to deliberately create the suffix, doesn't matter. Once there's any measure of uncertainty with regards to Arlon Chutzar, it becomes permitted. And the Gemara even says, suffix Levana Echo. If I know which one is the Arlon Chutzar and you don't, for you it's permitted. Even though I couldn't eat it, since you are uncertain about it, for you it's permitted. So, so too many Achreinim uh, extrapolated from this uh, comment of the Ran, who compares the two cases one to the other, Arlon Chutzar and Suffolk Mamzer that even if a person is aware that someone else is a mamzer, but they don't know, and no one else knows, and no one else will ever find out in today's society that's hard to predict, because people, information like that has a way of uh, finding its way uh, into, the, uh, you know, into the newspapers and things. But if uh, you know with certainty no one else is going to find out that this person is a mamzer, you could even be Masada, Rebbe Khan Wasman has an article in the journal called Degel Atayri, you could even be Masada Kiddushin for the couple. If I know they're a mamzer and they don't know, because mamzer vaday, amar rachmanu v'loi mamzer safik. So we, uh, therefore the Paiskim were averse to using paternity tests to resolve uh, estate uh, disputes, because uh, in the process, 
you might find out that some of these imams are, and that's going to create a very difficult problem communally is how we're going to deal with this person uh, in terms of who, who we can marry and who we can't marry. Whereas if we just, uh, if we avoided the paternity test or even if we don't accept it in the eyes of Allah, it was conveniently uh, uh, helpful. Why yeah. can we uh, separate uh, paternity, I mean, DNA testing for certain things like uh, monetary and inheritance and excluded from Mom Zeris and everything else. Why can't we break it? You know, break it. Uh, because almost every case of uh, uh, inheritance in a state. Well, why can't we just say it, Cloud, that it's not evidence for Mom Zeris, but it is evidence in inheritance? If we legislated our own um, even though it's not testimony, but it's risen to that level of certainty. So then, if it's good enough for money, why isn't it good enough oh, for Mamzerus? See, Rav Sadi, though, he was dealing with a person who claimed to be the father, but never claimed to be from the same mother. So there was no issue of Mamzerus. Most of the okay. cases of paternity that uh, that uh, were, a paternity <laughs> test would be ordered is where the father claims it's not my kid, but it is hers. If you would have such a unique situation where yeah. no mamzeris would be created, enachinami. But that's why the poskim were averse to it, is because it, uh, if they would accept it, it would have created a, many, a host of issues of, uh, of mamzeris. Some of the poskim at the end decided that for certain cases, yes, and some cases, no. It's hard to distinguish. Why, what's that distinction based on? If, either, if you accept it, you accept it. If you don't accept it, you don't accept it. Once you're accepting it for this, how could you not accept it for that? Couldn't you I mean... Uh, if it's even if it's let's say ninety five or ninety nine percent sure you, you said from Amzeris it has to be if right so some argued some argued let's accept it let's accept it it rises to the threshold for Dine Mamanis right, right, that it's a right, sufficient right. rope. and from Amzeris you never know maybe she was artificially inseminated well, if there's artificial right. insemination there's no Mamzeris because no BS Easter took well, place you could make is. these kinds of arguments but uh, you, you, Huh? Mixed up at the testing lab. If it's mixed up at the testing lab. 0.1%, but it's good enough. Could be. It's a problematic. Most don't accept that distinction. It doesn't sound like that was the basis of the argument between Rabbi Herzog and everybody else. No, he was arguing that we should accept it uh, unconditionally. This is scientific proof. He might have agreed we shouldn't order them in most cases because you're going to create the problem of Mamzerus. But uh, so there, there is that, even if you would accept it, Rabbi Herzog would probably not order them because of problems of Mamzeris. And I think that's the policy of the Beis and Eretzio. They rarely, if ever, order a paternity test, even in estate disputes, because you're going to create Mamzeris in the process. But uh, he was arguing that don't make a halachic argument that we can't accept the scientific advancements in the Yad Halacha. But the DNA testing, which came about much later on in the mid-1980s and the 1990s, you don't have this issue because that's not derived only from blood. It's derived from other parts of the body. So that... uh, could be derived from anybody, cheek swab, so that uh, wouldn't uh, w- run into a, you know, a problem with the Gemara Mesechta's uh, Nida, so therefore the Poskim had a new dispute in the 1980s, 1990s, can we accept uh, DNA evidence in the eyes of Halacha? Not usually with regards to establishing paternity, but rather in the more tragic case of establishing whether or not a husband is alive and allowing an Asia Sish to remarry, yeah. Well, very basic question, the Mams of Kalashem is not a unique pasuk in sense with says suffix. I mean, you can say that for a lot of so uh, Ammoni and Moabi. I mean, you know, I can think of, you know, a lot From the of way the pasuk was phrased, Chazal understood something unusual what about saying. it. What's unusual about the pasuk here? I don't know. Good question. But Chazal clearly understood something else was in off here. Cases, Why? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah.
Yeah. Actually, in this week's parsha, <coughs> getting back to the DNA testing, in this week's parsha, Yaakov Avinu is presented with the Xenus Pasim of Yosef that's dipped in the blood as uh, evidence that Yosef had died. And the Pasuk tells us that he accepts that evidence. He's told, Hakir no, Xenus bin Chahi Imloi. And he accepts it. He accepted as evidence that Yosef is died and he begins to sit Avelos. So in general, how was he able in fact he sat Avelos not because of any testimony that Yosef had died. No one claimed that they were there when he was killed, but he was only sat Avelos based on the fact that he received the coat that was dipped in blood on other uh, identifying characteristics based on the coat that was dipped in blood. So the fact that he sat Avelos for a coat that was dipped in blood because that was an identifying characteristic of uh, Yosef or an identifying <laughs> item of Yosef um, is, uh, is perhaps significant because uh, the uh, general rule in Hilchas Avelos is that you can only begin to sit Avelos for if you have evidence that a person died that would be acceptable uh, to declare a woman as the, permitted to remarry, to, would declare his wife permitted to remarry. The Shulchan Aruch says over here, You can uh, sit, begin to sit Avelos when you receive information that your relative Loyaleno has passed away with an Eid Echad, or a, a Nanju who's uh, speaking not realizing that he's uh, you know, giving relevant information. And the Shach quotes the name of the Ramban, If uh, we would receive testimony that we would accept that a husband has passed away and allow his wife to remarry, that's the level of, uh, you know, of, uh, of uh, confirmation we need in order to begin to sit uh, Avelos. The two share that quality. Presumably because we don't want a woman uh, to be sitting Avelos for her husband at the same time she can't remarry. So the same standard is employed in both uh, scenarios. In order to allow a woman to remarry, you need uh, what's the equivalent of an aid echad nem and you need testimony of one aid. Uh, so too that would be the, sir, the, uh, the information one would have to receive in order to begin uh, to sit uh, Avelos. Even though typically with regards to Davash Abiyerva, marriage and divorce, and allow a woman to remarry would require two Eidim, and Davash Abiyerva, Pachos Mishnayim, Chazal created a special leniency in order to allow women to remarry, to allow, uh, you know, to be mater and aguna, to rely even on the testimony of one witness, even sometimes psule, edos, the same standard usually as eid echad nemebisurim, but that's also what you need in order to begin to sit avelos. Because we don't want to have this, uh, this uh, ironic situation of her sitting Avelos, but she's not able to be remarried. Rebbe Kiva Eger writes on Shulchan Aruch and Hilchitz Avelos in the name of the Shach and the Sefer Ezra Snashim that this uh, standard is, uh, is, um, applies indiscriminately across the board, not only to a woman who is married, uh, but this standard with regards to Avelos applies <laughs> even to a person to begin to sit Avelos for any of his kravim. He has to receive the kind of confirmation that we would require in order to allow a woman uh, to remarry. So let's say in the absence of testimony, typically you require the testimony of one witness. Not two. One is enough because Chazal created a special leniency in order to, uh, to alleviate the situation of, of Aguna. But what about other identifying uh, evidence? Can we assume that that uh, is valid uh, in the Azvalacha in order to allow a woman to remarry? So we're all familiar with the Gemara Masech the Sanhedrin, which tells us, in the name of Shimon ben Shetach, who was uh, running into a deserted a ruin, uh, and he uh, saw another person running in with a knife in his hand, chasing after another party. And two seconds later, the guy emerged from the secluded room, it was only the two of them, with the bloody knife, and the other guy is dead on the floor. 
So Shimon ben Shetach was almost certain that uh, the other guy killed him, and there were only the three of them there, Shimon ben Shetach, the guy with the knife, and the corpse. So Shimon ben Shetach says, either you killed him or I killed him, and I'm pretty sure that I didn't, so it must have been you. Nonetheless, the Torah says, Al pishnaim edim yumas hames, that uh, you have to have two witnesses to the act of murder, and anything less than that is, uh, is uh, insufficient in the eyes of halacha to administer capital punishment. So when you, the requirement is testimony of witnesses, uh, you know, so then uh, usually anything less than that is, uh, is unacceptable. However, over here, with regards to the issue of uh, being mater and aguna, to beginning, uh, commencing uh, avelos, it's true, and typically we require the testimony of one witness that a person has passed away. However, the Gemara Mesechlis Bab Metziah does entertain the possibility that perhaps uh, other forms of a confirmation uh, would be valid. The Brisa tells us over here, Oisid Gimel, Tashma, Ein me'idun elal partzif ha'panim imachaitim. In order to testify that you saw a certain, you know, a, a, husband of a certain woman who passed away, you have to see the uh, profile of the face together with the nose. It sounds like it's not good enough to find other identifying uh, uh, aspects of the body or of his uh, items he might have been carrying, his kalim. It has to be edos uh, that you saw his face and that he had passed away. So the Gemara, though, uh, modifies that. Now, perhaps that's only if it's uh, his uh, body, you know, let's say the face is unrecognizable, the body doesn't have anything that uh, is uh, conclusive that this was him. You know, he's short or tall, uh, uh, or he's uh, fat or skinny. Sigmar says, you know, Kagain, that he's goofal to Arach Vagoids. Either he's tall or he's short, he's fat or he's skinny. That doesn't really tell us too much because there are so many people in the world who have this, uh, who have this quality that wouldn't necessarily uh, be conclusive that this is uh, this individual. However, the Gemara does go on to say, if you have a simon muvhak, Gemara assumes that there's three types of simonim. There's a simon garua, something which is totally unidentifying, like tall or short, fat or skinny. Then you have a simon benoni, which is a dispute within the Gemara. You have, let's say, the person has a mole. Yeah, but lots of people have moles. Not everybody, but not even half the people in the world. But enough that it's not necessarily conclusive that this is him. But then there's what's known as a simon muvhak, a person, this is, uh, what is a simon muvhak? So the Beis Shmuel tells us over here in Shulchan Arach, Heaven Ezer, and the simon that discusses Agunois, on the uh, third to the bottom line, he says uh, that a simon muvhak, who shall yim sarak echad me'elef. If only one in a thousand people, or one in a hundred thousand, a million people have such a uh, characteristic, we could assume that that is the husband, and if we find it, uh, that identifying uh, characteristic on a corpse, we could assume that the husband has passed away. So if you have a simon muvhak, the Gemara does seem to accept that in order to allow a woman to remarry, and that would be uh, sufficient confirmation to begin uh, to sit avelos. If anything less than that, is, uh, is, uh, doesn't seem to be uh, rise to the threshold of confirmation that a husband has passed away to allow a woman to remarry or to commence uh, Avelos. What about if you find uh, his items on the body? It's not necessarily an identifying characteristic about the body itself, but he's uh, dressed in his clothing. Is that good enough to ascertain or to determine that that is, the, that that is in fact the husband? and allow the woman to remarry to begin Avelos. So the Gemara in Mesechus Bab Mitzvah over there is not unsure about that initially, because maybe people lend their garments to other people. So are we chayshin on or maybe he lent it to somebody else? So the Gemara concludes, it's unclear if the Gemara concludes, we are chayshin on or we're not chayshin on and it's a machlekes rishayin, a machlekes in Shulchan Aruch, Paskin. However, the Gemara does say that there are certain items that people do not lend out. 
Like the Gemara is discussing a saddle of an animal. A saddle of, a, of an animal were all custom made uh, to fit the animal. Or you have uh, other items that people simply don't lend out, like their wallet or their, uh, you know, their uh, signet ring. People didn't lend it out because they were afraid of the uh, a forgery or afraid of uh, other people using their money. So people usually don't lend out their wallets or those kinds of uh, those kinds of items. So when it's uh, something that people don't lend out and you find it uh, attached to the remains of the uh, person, even though the face is unrecognizable, then we can assume that that is the husband and uh, that he's passed away to allow the woman to remarry and to commence uh, Avela. This came up in a tragic situation of uh, 9-11, that one of the uh, remains uh, from the World Trade Center, of course they couldn't identify uh, the... uh, the face was unrecognizable, but they found a man's wallet and his keys and his pants. And uh, so Zalman Achemi Goldberg assumed that that was uh, sufficient uh, evidence that the uh, person had uh, passed away and allowed his uh, wife to remarry, uh, together with other uh, considerations. But that was one of the uh, primary considerations, is that they found, uh, they found his items there, and people typically don't lend out those items. And that's what the Beit Shmuel writes over here on the fourth line. Nearly, those items, like a wallet, like a ring that people typically don't lend out, so then we can assume that if we find those remains that, uh, that that was the husband, then we can allow the wife to remarry and to commence, uh, to commence Avelos. However, and that would presumably justify Yaakov Avinu sitting Avelos. The Chem de Shlomo brings a raya, or proof, that that's why Yaakov Avinu, explanation, that's why Yaakov Avinu sat Avelos upon seeing the Ksenis Patim that was dipped in blood, because yeah, yeah, there's no way Yosef would have lent out the Ksenis Patim to anybody else, and if he found it dipped in blood, there must be conclusive proof that uh, Yosef was dead, and that's why he began to sit Avelos upon seeing the Ksenis Patim. It's disturbing, though, because he was wrong. Yosef was alive. So, I don't know if that's necessarily a we proof. Don't, we don't pass them from Bracious. Anyway. Yeah, that's true, but it's still a disturbing... Uh... What about if the wallet was stolen and then you know, happened or, or something like that? Right, so the Gemara doesn't assume that we're concerned with that. That sounds like that's really unlikely. But uh, lending things out, people lend coats, they lend a scarf, you lend things out. So, uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know how, well, how common that is either, and that was a machlaikas. But certainly a wallet, I don't know how many people, you know. So there is, it's true, you could steal a wallet and his keys and his pants, but it'd be hard to steal. They found the guy's pants in the World Trade Center. Yeah, it's just, a, just a wallet or something. You know, steal a guy's pants in the... Um, but much of the remains, and there were many considerations in allowing the, there were a number of uh, Aguna situations as a result of uh, September 11th, but much, and there were many considerations in allowing uh, the, the different, uh, being mad to the different women to remarry, and I think all of the women, uh, after a year or so, were all given a, a head to, to remarry, most within the year, some, I think the last one was a year after uh, 9-11. But they were all given a head to, to remarry with many considerations that, of course, played a factor in those heterim. Uh, but one major consideration was with regards to DNA testing of the, of the remains. And the Shiloh arrived at the uh, desk of Zalman Nechemia Goldberg, who was really the, the one who uh, dealt with the issue. His uh, tshuva was published later on in the journal Tchumen and in uh, Rabbi Gottesman's journal Yeshurun. That was written, his tshuva was written to the Basin of America. Can we accept DNA evidence? Is that considered to be a simon muvak? and uh, identify these remains as the remains of the husband and allow the woman to remarry and to commence Avelos. And he concluded that it was a simon, rose to the threshold of a simon muvak, the uh, likelihood of uh, uh, someone else having the same DNA is, uh, 
is uh, I guess one in seven and a half quadrillion, which is more people than ever existed in the history of the world. So it's, uh, he concluded that that was a simon muvhak. And uh, even more than a simon muvhak, he says that's exactly what uh, testimony is all about. He said, how could you ever know when you see somebody doing something that that's him? Maybe it's uh, somebody else. Yes, it's true. The Gemara tells us that that just like people's faces aren't the same as one another, so two people's uh, perspectives are never exactly the same. So Chazal testified for us that people, then there are no two people that share the exact same uh, face. Uh, but how do they know? Maybe if you kept searching in the world, you'd find someone else who has the exact same face. So it must be that they assume, since they, uh, they anecdotally, no one had ever seen someone who had the exact same face as somebody else, that it simply didn't exist. And so too, Zaman Achemia argues, even though we can't say we've tested, DNA tested every single person in the entire world, and we know with certainty that nobody has the exact same DNA, uh, we've tested enough that we know that it's, uh, that it's uh, at least the same as Chazal's determination that people don't share the same face. We can also assume that people don't share the same DNA. And he said that that's not even a Simon Muvak. Simon Muvak means, he said that I find the generic identifying uh, quality that is just unlikely that it exists by anybody else. He says this is not just a generic identifying quality that could or could not exist by somebody else. This is like seeing the person's face. This is the same as testimony or, you know, the parts of Panamim HaChaitem is when a person identifies uh, or sees uh, DNA. It could be that there is a doppelganger out there somewhere, you know, a theoretical possibility. It could be that theoretically there's someone else's DNA, but the same unlikelihood that there's someone who shares the exact same face uh, out there is the exact same likelihood that someone shares the exact same DNA, just like we accept testimony in uh, all areas of Allah, so too we should accept uh, DNA evidence. Others... I can't believe that they used a wallet and a keys when they had DNA. Meaning, can the DNA stand on its own without a wallet and keys? Like... Do we really need wallet and keys? To that was only something? one individual. And you, you're I'm assuming, I don't know if they had DNA evidence for that individual. That in the they didn't have DNA evidence for everyone. Oh, so my question was regarding that person. Did they have DNA evidence? I don't think so. They didn't? I don't think Despite so. They didn't have DNA evidence for everybody. They did not? No. I don't know. I don't remember that specific case. There were like 20 of them with it a lot of details. It would be interesting to see if in that case... They relied just on that. We felt that we needed to also add that we found the key. They always added as many coolers as you can. We never stop. You don't stop when you're... But tre- why? Why can't... Because why we want to pile that? on and be absolutely... Without any shadow of a doubt, we'll take as many coolers as you can when it comes it's to... Nice to get. But it's not fair because then in the next case... When you don't have we'll deal with it when we get there, like the Supreme Court. We don't, we don't deal with issues we don't have to deal with now. So we'll deal with that when it comes. If Chas Shalom, it should come up. We hope it doesn't. We hope it doesn't. But what about the other parties, even though we're unwilling to accept DNA? Rav Zaman Nechemia felt we could accept DNA evidence uh, uh, you know, independently. Other parties, Rav Vosner, Rav Nissen Karelitz, were more suspect of uh, DNA evidence for... Two reasons. One of them was, they initially were upset, uh, how do we know no one shares the same uh, DNA? And I think as science progresses and we become more comfortable with DNA, that argument uh, will, uh, will fall uh, to the wayside because people just, we see, we've never you know, encountered it. When it's something new, uh, it's, uh, it's harder to uh, initially digest. However, they had two other arguments. The first is that uh, DNA is based, uh, conclusive uh, you know, evidence is based on more than one, uh, comparing more than one point in a DNA strand. You usually have from 14 to 20 
uh, locuses or loci where you uh, compare on the DNA strand. So that's, they argue, that's perhaps not one simon muvak, that's a bunch of different simanim benonim, middle simanim. So who's to say we can necessarily combine many different points to create a larger picture? So the truth of the matter is, the Beishmu already dealt with that. The Beishmu writes over here, Oisid Beis, Oisid Dawid. He says on the last line of Al-Simen Em Tsoi, Mitzarfin, you can combine many Simanim Em Tsoi, many middle, you know, Moderate simanim, simen He says, if you have so many things that line up, that exactly is a simen mufak. So that argument is also uh, difficult to accept. However, they did argue, it's an interesting argument, is that generally speaking, the eyes of Allah, we only recognize those things that are visible with the human eye. When it comes to fulfilling mitzvahs and isurim, and you're violating isurim, if a person swallows a bacteria that's not visible, it's not an isur, your tefillin have to be square, but only to the, you know, to the degree that the human eye can detect. So typically speaking, the mitzvahs and Soon we generally are guided by what is visible by the human eye, and DNA is not visible uh, by the human eye. So they treat it as a simon benoni, they allowed it as evidence in co- combination, in conjunction with other uh, considerations, but independently they were reluctant to rely on DNA. I would argue, and I think many, uh, it's compelling, is that, yes, with regards to keeping the mitzvahs and isurim of the Torah, Kodesh Baruch can't expect any more than us, uh, from us and to observe it to, to the best of our ability with the human eye. That was obviously the expectation when the mitzvahs and the Yisurim were given. However, to determine whether or not this is somebody or not somebody, uh, if we can determine with something that's not visible by the human eye, either it is or it isn't. So then uh, I don't see why that shouldn't be uh, acceptable in the eyes of Allah, but of course I'm not going to get involved in this uh, dispute, which goes way above my pay grade. Right? Well, what? Yeah. The naked eye. Oh, the bugs in the water. Because when they were alive, it's only because they're dead. When they were alive, you can see them. I saw them. Someone came to make a demonstration. I always said you couldn't see them, and he brought the couple pods when they were alive. You could see them swimming around, look like fish. You go to a kitchen, you pour the water. Ah, because now they're dead. But when they're alive, they get killed through the system. But when they're alive, you can see them. But this issue about whether or not, and this is the final thing, with this issue with regards to whether or not DNA evidence is acceptable independently or only together with other considerations of being Mater and Aguna is very relevant for DNA mominous issues. If you have DNA evidence that plays into a monetary case, so if DNA evidence is just a sim and bane on it, perhaps it's not good enough uh, to extract money from one party and award it to another. But if it rises, like Zaman Nechemia argued, that it rises to the level of a simon muvhak, perhaps it would be sufficient grounds even to uh, take money from one party and award it to the other. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah.